Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. And so good that all of you online are joining us. We are so glad that you are here. You know what's just so funny to me? God has a sense of humor. If you did not know God has a sense of humor, let me just tell you a little bit. So I did this song and um, the message I'm about to give you today last week at our Lake Norman campus because all of our campuses, we want people to get a live, fresh word from God. We do not just want to record and send it into a campus. We want to be on the platform looking at your lovely faces. So last week, um, when I got up to do this song um, uh, and this message, I was informed that um, we are all over the news because the county commissioners decided they were going to tell churches that they now were going to have to mask their people before they came into the doors, to which we said, no, you won't. And we let them know that we've had about enough because last year, last year, the uh, government shut churches down, but they left the ABC store open, right? They shut the church down, but the strip clubs were allowed to be open. You could buy a lap dance, but you couldn't come to church, right? Then on top of that, they, they left the abortion on demand clinics open while the churches were closed. They left the marijuana dispensaries open while the churches were closed. And so we said, we're done. We're done. We've had enough. We're done. And what's so interesting to me is, you know, I thought, okay, that was a, you know, nice little thing that happened last week. And, you know, and then the irony of it all is we said, hey, 
You decide if you get a vaccine or not. We're not your doctor, and it's not our business. You decide if you wear a mask or not. We don't know your health circumstances. We don't know what's going on in your world, but that's not our decision. This is the only place where most people can actually come and feel normal, and we will not take that away from people. So, fast forward to this morning. I'm getting ready to get up and speak, and then one of the congressmen in our church sends me a message to let me know we're in the paper and on the news again. This time, this is the the irony of it all, is it's a woman senior pastor who is in Charlotte. Her name is Pastor Kate, and I've never met Pastor Kate, and I don't even know what church she pastors, but she reaches out to me this week. And she said, I would love for us to get together and pray. I have some thoughts for you on the masks. I stand at a different side than you. And I would love if we could just get together and chat and pray because we're both women in ministry. And I'm thinking, well, actually, I'm covered by my husband. I'm not senior pastoring on my own. But regardless... No, I'm unable to meet with you. I have five different conferences I'm getting ready to do, and having a mask conversation with somebody is just not the top of my list, right? If you want to know how I feel, you can watch my social media, and there'll be no more conversation, right? Follow me at Penny Maxwell, Pastor Kate. So what I figure out is I'm sent this message this morning by the congressman in our church who's like, hey, the woman who asked to meet with you, Pastor Kate, um, she decided to take the email she sent to you and go to the news with it. Because you see, that's what you do when you have a right heart and you just want to pray with somebody. You go to the Charlotte Observer. Now you know why I didn't meet with her. 30 pieces of silver. No, sorry. So I declined, and, and here, lo and behold, we're in the paper again. Let me, let me just make something very clear to you. Some of you might be going, Romans 13, Romans 13, which is the scripture in the Bible that talks about obeying the government? I want to ask you a few questions because as Christians, you need to be equipped to go out into your world because the world is going to try to hit you with their best shot, Okay? So let's talk about Romans 13 for a second. Do you think the Afghan women and children that are under the Taliban rule right now, do you think they're wrong for disobeying their government? Do you think the Chinese who are taking scraps of the Bible and reading it and doing underground church right now, do you think they're wrong for disobeying their government? Do you think Daniel in the Bible, the prophet, was wrong because he prayed even when his government told him he wasn't allowed to and he opened the windows and let everybody else in the city watch? Do you think, do you think that he was wrong? What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were told they must bow to the modern idols of this time when they said no? Do you think they were in sin or they were wrong? What about Peter, 
who got up and preached and they beat him and put him back on the street, the rulers, the leaders, and said, don't do this again. And the Bible says the next verse, and he went about preaching the gospel. Paul, Esther, who went and approached the king, illegal, against the rules, you do not approach the king unless the king calls and asks for you. But Esther knew there was a people group to save. So I am here to tell you, we will obey the government when it doesn't bump up against the word of God. And when it does, we will not back down. Do you hear me? We will not. And I want I want to make something very clear. You will never hear us in this church say that COVID isn't real. But my God says that you look at the mountain and you speak to that mountain and you tell it to move. So the debate is not about whether you wear a mask or whether you don't. We don't care. The debate is not about whether you've gotten the jab or whether you haven't. That is your personal business. What is happening is a deeper agenda, and the agenda is to come at you and your family and get you used to bowing your knee and living under control because of everything else that's coming down the pipe. You need to make your own decisions for your health care and your life. And it's funny, we can say my body, my choice when it comes to a baby with a separate DNA that isn't actually your body, but when it comes to a vaccine that you are firing people from their jobs for, and we say my body, my choice, and the argument doesn't work, it's one-sided. And you know what? We're done. We're done. All right, so now the message. When I was a little girl, I was around four or five years old, um, my mom had uh, just remarried again, and uh, this was her third marriage. Between my mom and my biological father, eight marriages, right? Uh, Pretty interesting picture. So my mom had just married my stepfather, and he was a builder, and my mom, uh, my mom with my brother and I, we lived in a little apartment in a really not so good area of town, right? And when she married my stepfather, you know, we, we did the whole, you remember the Jeffersons? Anybody watch the Jeffersons? Oh, we're moving on up, right? So when my mom married my stepfather, we were moving on up, but we hadn't moved on up yet. We were still in the ghetto, okay? We weren't doing so good. And it was government subsidized. We did not. um, There were times my mom would eat potato chips for dinner. We just didn't have a lot unless my grandparents intervened and gave it to her. And so it wasn't the safest of neighborhoods that we lived in uh, until we moved. But what happened one day is we were out with my stepfather And he was a builder, and we went to look at the different houses he was building. Well, here I am, four or five years old, and I take my purse with me because a girl's purse has to go everywhere she goes. 
So I'd take my purse and each job site that we went and looked at, I would pick up rocks from the job site and put it into my purse. Because, you know, you got to have a pretty rock. Girls still like pretty rocks, right? So here I am, this little girl. I had this whole purse full of rocks, and I had no idea that it might come in handy later. And so my mother and my stepfather, um, they let us go out on the playground. But, you know, even though it was the early 70s, it's still, you know, where we were. You, you couldn't let the kids play by yourself until we, we went to a different neighborhood. This neighborhood wasn't so great. And so they sat at a distance in the car, yards away from where my brother and I were. And we were off over onto the playground. And then this, this kid right? Because my brother is just a year older than me. So here I am, four or five. So my brother was either five or six. And this big middle schooler, a big middle schooler comes and starts attacking my brother. And I am just like, oh my gosh, I look. And at this time, my my parents, they, they aren't, they're talking with each other. They're not noticing what's going on. And I realize there's not a lot of time. But I'm looking at me and how little I am, and I'm thinking, I don't know what to do, but I can't just stand here while my brother gets demolished. All of a sudden, it dawned on me what was beautiful and amazing and wonderful. This little purse of mine actually might do some good right now. And I love to hear my mom tell it from her vantage point because by this point, she's seen it, but she can't get to us yet. And she's like, I will never forget you taking that purse and looking at it, and there you go. There you go. Like you're you're cocking your arm back. You're rounding your arm up, and all of a sudden, you unleash it, and you knock it right across his face. And here this 11-year-old middle schooler goes running away crying. And I thought I was going to get in trouble because my mom just watched me, like, hit this guy upside the face. And when I do that to my brother, I'd get in trouble. So I thought, oh, no. And she was so proud of me. She was like, you crushed it. That was awesome. And so we go back home to our little apartment. And I'm playing in my bedroom. And I hear, um, I hear somebody knock on the door. And my mom answers the door, and I wasn't paying much attention, but she goes to the door, and she opens it, and here is this woman who is furious because her 11-year-old has a black eye that is, like, pussy and nasty and swollen, and she begins to yell at my mother and says, look what your son did to my son. This was not right. And my mom said, actually, you've got it all wrong. And she goes, PJ! PJ, come out from the back room. That was my nickname, and you guys do not get to call me PJ, okay? Okay. So she calls me from the back room, and here I come, and I want you to see a picture of what I look like around four or five, because I want you to get this picture in your head, okay? This is me, and that's my brother. That's us sitting on the hood of a car, okay? So here comes this girl that looks like this from the back room. And here this 11-year-old. So the woman looks at my mom, and my mom says, she's the one that did it. And I watched the whole thing, and it's because your son is a bully. And somebody had to keep him quiet. Might as well be her. 
So that woman was furious, and they stomped off and were so angry. But it, it made me think of something. It made me think of this because, you know, in life, there are battles that come to you. There are fights that you don't pick, but guess what? You don't have a choice but to get involved. You didn't pick it. It came to your door. But what do you do when the fight comes to you? I think sometimes we can get afraid, but what we don't understand is in Psalms 34, 19, it says, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Do we really trust that God is our deliverer? Because if we do, why do we walk away from battles that we should be fighting? Why do we walk away so easily? You know, I think about David, you know, in the Bible, before he was a king, he was a 17-year-old kid. And here was David. He wasn't allowed to, to be out on the field fighting with everybody else in the war. So here is David, and his job was literally just to take, the Bible says, cheese and bread. Cheese and bread. Take cheese and bread down to your brothers who are actually fighting the real battle, but you're just a teenager. So here's David. He takes the, in my version, grilled cheese sandwiches. He takes the grilled cheese sandwiches down to the battlefield, and he notices there's a bully. There's this big bully named Goliath, and Goliath is taunting and messing with God's people, like literally coming at them. And he gives them a deadline, and he says, I'm going to annihilate all of you. And they're looking at him. They're, they're looking at, you know, Goliath, and it's like, what can we do? This man is huge. And David is like, let me at him. Let me have a God. And they're like, David, you're so arrogant. David, you don't even know what you're doing. You're young. David, you're not experienced. You're just saying this because you know this isn't your fight. And he's like, no, I'll make it my fight because you're coming against the angel armies of the living God. No, this is my fight. And they're like, David, 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 it, you, this is really your arrogance showing. And he's like, uh, like, I want to fight in this battle. Don't overlook me. So he goes to the king. He goes to Saul. And he's like, Saul, I, I want to fight in this battle. I, I can take that enemy down. And Saul's like, um, David, man, I appreciate you. Hey, I, I mean, uh, good on you, man, but you got to understand something here. Like, this isn't going to work. Like, look at you, look at him. And he's like, are you telling me that I can't fight for my God? And Saul's like, no, I'm not trying to say that to you. It's just like, you're not trained. You don't have the right equipment. And so Saul says, let's put my armor on you. So you, And David tries Saul's armor on. And he's like, man, it doesn't fit me. This, this isn't. I want to fight and I want to be in this battle, but I can't do it your way. I need to do what God is putting on the inside of me. I've got to do it the way God is speaking to me. And so he takes the armor off, and, and we know the story. He goes and he stands in front of Goliath, and he begins to prophesy. He says, you are an uncircumcised Philistine, and I will take you down right now. I'm going to cut your head off with a sword. But what did David have in his hand? Five rocks. 
He had a purse, just like me. Five rocks and a purse. And they're like, you're talking about a sword cutting my head off? And you don't even have a sword. Because David was speaking prophetically about what was going to happen. He wasn't just looking at his situation and his circumstance right in the moment. He knew that if God was on the inside of him, then greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And it doesn't matter what you bring my way. And so he goes up. He takes the the purse full of rocks. And he takes Goliath down. But then... He takes Goliath's own sword. He uses the very weapon that was held out against him to take Goliath's head off and defeat the enemy. David was not a trained fighter. In the natural, David was just a teenager. Who does David think he is trying to fight this fight? Leave it for the big boys. No. David said, I will not be void of this fight. I'm going to stand up. And here he was, a teenager, and he took down the enemy. David didn't go looking for the fight. David just decided that since the fight was already happening, he wasn't going to become a spectator. J.L., I love the story of J.L. She's just a housewife, a tent wife, lived in a tent, kept her tent, really great wife. But she heard that the the ruler, the judge over Israel, who was Deborah, was fighting in a battle with her commander, Barak, trying to take down uh, the king who was opposing them. And the commander of the army is Sesera. And here Sesera and the king are fighting. I mean, they are just literally going after it. And what happens is they end up just annihilating everyone. Israel annihilates everyone. And I think this is so interesting. They got everyone except for Sesera, the commander of the opposing army. They got the king. They got uh, King Jabin. They got everybody. But they didn't get Sesera. And he was the one that had the biggest mouth. And so... What happens is Sesera actually sneaks over into another territory of people who actually had a peace treaty with them. And so she, he's like, oh, I can go over here and I will have a safe haven. And the Israelites can't get me because these guys, they're actually our allies. And so he sneaks over and he goes over and he knows that if he can just find a tent to go into, he can rest and regroup and get his game plan together because he tormented the Israelites on a regular basis. And so he goes over, he comes to a tent of a woman, a tent wife named Jael. And he asks to come in and she welcomes him in and she knew who he was. And she also says, I know we're not at war with him, but here's the thing. She knew that one day they would be because evil is evil, and it may not be after you right this second, but it is coming your way. So she had a choice to make. What do I do right now in this moment? It's really not my fight. He's not upset with me. He's not after me. But what, what do I do? Well, she was a smart woman because she wasn't just thinking about herself. 
So she gets him in. He asks for a cup of water. She says, I'll do better than that. I'll give you a cup of warm milk. She gives him a cup of warm milk, and he falls asleep. And what does she do? She uses what's in her hand. She doesn't go and ask, you know, the head of her her tribe and say, hey, can you give me a sword? Hey, what she does is she uses what is readily available. She pulls up one of the tent pegs, and she pounds it through his head and kills him. Wasn't her fight. The fight came to her. But what did she do? Did she just sit by and let somebody else declare victory? Or was she going to stand up and do what she needed to do in the moment she needed to do it? You see, I think that's the problem. Sometimes we think it's just about me. Well, my company's not demanding that I do that, so I'm not going to say anything. It may not be your company now, but they are coming for you. Do you understand that? And it's not just about you. It's about future generations who will grow up in this country. And if we don't stand up, if we do not stand up, the tyranny that is going on will eventually be you can't worship God freely. Is that the America that we want our children to grow up in? It's not. So I just want you to know, listen, this might not be a fight that you picked but it's been picked. And you've got to stand up and you've got to start fighting back because the future generations are at stake. I love this quote. I posted it on my social media. It says, if standing up for your children means you burn bridges, I have matches and we ride at dawn. I have been so proud to see so many people going up and standing against school boards, standing against governments, using their voice. I want to read this scripture to you because this this reminded me, watching all of this play out, it reminded me of this scripture, and I'll, I'll tell you why. This is in 2 Kings 2, 23. In this scripture, what we're going to read is we're going to read about Elisha. Now, Elisha was a prophet, but he was new on the scene. He was the understudy of Elijah. And Elijah, when he was taken up into heaven um, in this chariot of fire, the Bible says that the, the anointing, the authority that was on him, the mantle that was on him, he tossed it onto Elisha and gave him a double portion of the anointing that he had. So here is Elisha with a double-fold anointing on his life, but nobody knows who Elisha is at this point. They knew who Elijah was. They'd watched all the miracles. They'd watched everything happen. They watched everything go down, and they, they were trembling because of Elijah, because of the power of God that was on his life. But here's Elisha, the new kid on the block. So the Lord tells him to go to Bethel and to speak in Bethel. But when he gets to Bethel, there was a gang there that tried to stop him. The Bible calls it like a large group of young lads, young men. And when I went and researched this, it was a gang that would hang out at the front of the city and try to prevent people from entering and just torment people. So that's the backstory. Now I want you to see as we go into the scripture what happened. 2 Kings 2, 23, it says, Then he went up from there to Bethel. As he was going up, by the way, this is Elisha, young lads came out from the city and mocked him. 
and said to him, go up, you bald head, go up. Well, he was picking on him. They were picking on him. They were calling him names. It was about to get a little rowdy, and Elisha knew that. It says, when he looked behind him and he saw him, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. I like that scripture. Anybody else like that scripture? Anybody want to use that scripture this week? He cursed them in the name of the Lord. It says, then two, what's the next two words? Okay, I'm going to give you all one more chance because it's up on the screen. This isn't a trick. It's two words. And then two Two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 lads of their number. And he went from there to Mount Carmel, and then from there he returned to Samaria. Let me tell you what you're seeing in this scripture right now, which is so important. Right now, you see the word of God. You see the gospel trying to get out to different cities. And there are people who are standing at those cities trying to oppose the word coming in. But all you got to do is tick off a few mama bears and they will come out of the woods and those mama bears will shred you up into a million pieces. I am watching the mama bears rise right now because you don't mess with a mama bear's cubs. You don't touch a mama bear. She will shred you. And I am watching these mama bears stand up. And then it says once they were defeated, then he went to Mount Carmel. He went into Bethel where he was supposed to go. And then Samaria. But first... We have to call on the assistance of the mama bears. And I think when you make the mama bears mad and they rise up, you better freaking look out because they will take you down. I am watching mama bears stand up to city council. I'm watching them stand up to school boards. I am watching them start groups. I'm watching them start homeschooling groups. Man, if there was ever a time to speak up, now is the time. And listen, listen. What you have to understand, I think the thing that makes me the saddest is, is people that don't understand that we're in a fight. Can I just tell you something? I would much rather, I love hosting people. I love having people over. I love making homemade meals and gathering around the table. I love baking cookies. I love doing all of those things. I would much rather do that than have to go fight the city council. I would much rather do that than have to go fight the commissioners, who all of them are up for election in November, by the way. Do you hear me? You were voted in, and you can be voted out. Try me. So here's, here's the thing. I would much rather, you know, go out on the lake and, and have a good day. I am in a fight because somebody picked one with me. And what is sad to me is when people don't realize that because of complacency. And then there's the group of, okay, well, you know, you're, you're a Christian, and you need to be kind and loving and gentle and sweet. And it, 
it, it cracks me up because, because I say to them, okay, okay, let's, let's play that out, okay? Say that you're, how many, how many men I got in the house? Where's my men? All right, where's my married men? All right, where's my men that have a girlfriend? Do, we need to do some matchmaking. Hey, I'm good at that. I'm good at that. Okay, where's, where's my dad's? How many of you got kids? Okay, okay. So let's just, let's just take this example, right, of, you know what? You just, need to, you just need to be loving and you need to be kind. So we're in Uptown, right? You're a dad. Somebody comes and starts pounding your wife, your bride. Somebody is pounding her, like punching her in the face and like taking her stuff. Would you go, you know what, Lord, right now I just want to pray for this person. What they're doing is not kind and, oh, they're still doing it. God, I just ask you, Lord, I just, because we're Christians and, and we are kind and we are gentle. Oh, now they took the purse. God, um, God, would you just, do you see the stupidity of that? Do you know what you'd be doing? I mean, you might be praying, but it's going to be like, oh, Jesus, you know you didn't, and you're going to be like taking them down. Like, like, it blows me away that Christians just stand by, and literally, they're letting somebody attack the bride. The bride of Christ is under attack, and I want my mama bears, and I want my men of the house to stand up and fight back and say, oh, heck no. You don't mess with the bride. You don't mess with the bride. Now, what I will tell you is that the fight is always in the spiritual realm first before it comes to the natural but you don't ignore the natural. Do you understand? You get your weapons and your power in the spirit, and then you play it out in the natural. Let me show you what that looks like. The Syrian king was after Elisha. There's a whole different group of people now because whenever you're God's chosen, the enemy will always try to come after you. Okay? How many non-Jews do we have in the room? If you're not a Jew, raise your hand. Okay, so what happened with you, the Gentiles, when we accepted Jesus as our Lord, we now got grafted in. So every fight that you see that came to the Israelites, you are now grafted in, and because you carry the mantle of God on your life, people want to take you out. The whole thing with Hitler, that wasn't just a natural battle. It started in the spirit because God's people will always be tried to be eliminated and exterminated. Do you understand? So the battle was in the spirit and it played out in the natural. So I want you to hear this. Here is the, the Syrian king attacking the Israelites and Elisha has this little thing that he's doing, and the king doesn't understand what's going on. He's furious. He said, the king said, somebody in our, our camp is a mole, and they are giving our information out because the Israelite army, they always know where we're going and what we're doing, so somebody is betraying us. 
And they looked and they said, um, King, actually, that's not what's happening. There's not a mole in the camp. What's happening is they have this prophet named Elisha. And Elisha is telling all of his, his armies what you're saying in your bedroom at night. He knows your move because he can hear in the spirit. And so the king says, go get him. Go get him right now, surround him, send all of the armies out, bring this guy back to me. So let's pick up in the story in 2 Kings 6, 14. It says, then he, the king, sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up, when Elisha's servant got up and he went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. His response is, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Notice what Elisha says. He does not say out of his mouth, oh my gosh, go get your sword. Oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? Oh my gosh, God help us fight the enemy. He doesn't say that because he knows that when God is on your side, you are already victorious. So he says to his servant, he says, first thing, don't be afraid. Can I say that to you today? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. The second thing he said is he said, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, Elisha's servant, I mean, you know, you could just imagine this playing out. He's looking and he sees just everything surrounding the city. And he's going, okay, Elisha, I hear you. And I realize that I'm your understudy, but, but I did learn in my Jerusalem athletics class, and I did learn in my mathematics and all this, like, we can't overtake them. They're more powerful. Um, and I did learn, you know, the math one, two. One, two. Um, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 110, 20, 30, 40. Um, can you just help me out here a little bit? Because I, I, I'm trying to understand. And then Elijah goes further. Elijah prayed, and it says, here's his prayer. Open his eyes. Not, Lord, protect us. Lord, defend us. He said, open his eyes, Lord, so he sees that you were there the whole time. Open his eyes so he can see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. Now, we know that the rest of the story is that God actually came in and blinded the army, so they ended up just running away in defeat, right? A spiritual battle had implications in the natural. Do you understand? And that is the thing that I think we have to understand is you must not rely on your naked eye. Don't rely just on your naked eye. The prophetic voice of God is your weapon. 
If you do not pray in the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to stay after, ask questions. What does that mean? I don't have time to teach a whole message on that. You need to learn how to pray in the Holy Spirit right now. Go to Acts chapter 2 and read about when the Holy Spirit fell. It's so important to understand the tools and the arsenal that God has given to you. Here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to understand. We have to do what Elisha did. The first thing is we've got to pray. We've got to pray. When it feels like the enemy is surrounding us, we've got to pray. The next thing we've got to do is we've got to see in the spiritual realm, see in the spirit, because your natural eyes will betray you. You've got to look further into the spirit. And then the third thing that Elisha did, Elisha never backed down. Can I just encourage you with this today? Don't quit because you can't see what God can. Don't quit because you can't see what God can. Will you stand on your feet with me? You know, the little girl with the purse full of rocks. When I was four or five, I had already started being sexually abused. Lasted my entire childhood until my accuser was put in jail. My whole childhood. I told you earlier, between my mom and dad, eight marriages. Things weren't good growing up in my house. There was all sorts of abuse, all sorts of things that were happening. And I want you to understand this. That doesn't give me the right to live as a victim and opt out of a fight that is clearly in front of me. I could give you a sob story and tell you every single thing that happened to me. As a matter of fact, my, my book will come out at the end of this month and you can read it. But one of the most frustrating things to me as when we walk in a victim mentality because of everything that's happened. You see, a victim mentality isn't even, like it's not the devil coming in and taking the authority from you. A victim mentality is you just handing over your authority. That's why so many things that are going on right now, we're teaching people how to be victims. And it's wrong. Because it teaches you not to fight or not to stand up. We're teaching people that because, because of the color of your skin, this is, where you're, this is how your life is going to be. That's not what my Bible says. That's not what my Bible says. We're teaching people that because you're a, a man or a woman, this is the cap. You're only allowed to go this way. That, that's not what my Bible says. JL was just a tent wife. David was a teenager. Age doesn't matter. Your career choice doesn't matter. What matters is will you use what God has put into your hand? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? There's two questions I have for you today. One is what's holding you back? What is keeping you back from engaging in the battle like you know you should? 
Do you think I'm not strong enough? Do you think I don't know enough? Are you afraid that you're gonna experience loss, maybe in your business or maybe in relationships? Are you afraid of not speaking up because you, you realize that some people might get upset with you? It might cost you your job. It makes you feel anxious. You just feel the, the grip of fear. I would like to ask you today to figure out what it is that is holding you back. Just ask the Lord right now, what is keeping me from speaking up like I should? What is keeping me from fighting like I should? And all of us have different weapons in our arsenal. Maybe God is asking you to get involved financially and start supporting some of the people that'll bring the right laws that we need to worship God freely. Maybe God is asking you to run for office. Maybe God is asking you to use your voice and stand up against the council or the commissioners. Maybe God is just asking you to do a little video on your social media. Maybe God is asking you to have coffee with a friend over lunch. Whatever it is, I just want to encourage you to do whatever it is God is asking you to do with what he's put into your hand. Identify that right now. What is keeping me back? Because I get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of inboxes from people that all feel the same way, but everyone's afraid to speak up. It reminds me of the movie, The Bug's Life. When the grasshoppers were fighting against the ants and the grasshoppers were taking over, one little ant stood up and convinced the whole colony that there are more of us than there are of them. And if one little ant can just stand up, all of the rest of the ants will follow. What is keeping you from standing up? Identify it right now. And the reason I want you to identify it is because you can't crucify what you're not willing to identify. Identify it. I'm afraid to make my family members upset. I'm afraid that I might lose my income. Identify it. The last thing that I wanna do, and this is the most important thing, is you're not gonna be able to fight the battles that you need to fight unless the God of the angel armies is living within you and unless he's number one. Today, whether in this room or whether watching online, I wanna ask you this question. If you know that you need to put God first and maybe you've stepped back from that Maybe you just need a fresh start today. Maybe you need a reset or a do-over, whatever that looks like. But today you say, that is me. I want to start putting God first. Will you just shoot your hand up? Just say, that's me. I'm gonna start putting God first. Like, thank you. Wow. I'm gonna start putting God first. I'm, uh, like, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start. Here's what I want us to do. I want all of us to say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus we ask you to be the king of our heart to sit on the throne of our heart we're walking away from our old life you said 
in your word that we could come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and help in a time of need. And we do that now in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message. Thank you.